evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Turn Left. I am your host, Indiana's own Dana Black, coming to you live. Yes, all the way live from Black Pearl Studios, where we talk about Indiana politics from the left side of things. Man, oh man, session is underway. This 2022 session has got some humdingers for you. I'm going to run down a few of them. There are too many, and as I always encourage you to do, get with your homies Look at those bills that are being called into committee, called to the floor, find out which bills are impacting your communities and determine whether or not you want to be for or against those bills. Come out, lobby, find somebody that's, you know, able to go downtown and talk to any of these committees so that you can advocate for what policies that are going to impact your life. This is really, really important. This general, this is supposed to be a short session. We'll see, but we're going to start with this. On Thursday, a proposal targeting the Gary School Corporation, House Bill 1187, was pulled from the House Ways and Means Committee agenda. The Gary legislative delegation, composed of Senator Eddie Melton, Senator Lonnie Randolph, Representative Vernon Smith, Representative Earl Harris Jr., and Representative Reagan Hatcher, released the following statement. We want to thank the Gary community for coming down to speak out against HB 1187 and for making their voices heard through calls, emails, and direct action. HB 1187 would not, was not supported by Gary teachers, parents, or residents, and we're happy to report that Representative Tim Brown will not be hearing this proposal in the next two weeks, effectively killing this legislation. HB 1187 would have granted governing power of the Gary School Corporation to Indiana Secretary of Education, stripping the Gary community of their ability to select their own school board. The bill also would have prevented teachers from joining unions. While this legislation has been blocked for now, they say, we encourage allies, stakeholders, and community members to remain vigilant and active until the end of session. Please visit iga.in.gov to stay updated on moving legislation and keep an eye out on amendments being made to other bills. It is still possible for language in HB 1187 to be put in to other bills. See, again, we, we always talk about local control. And if you ask any of those, you know, GOP General Assembly members, they will tell you, you know, we don't want federal overreach. We don't want federal government in our state, but they don't have a problem dipping their toes into local governments. They've already stripped so much away from the Gary school system. Now they just don't even want the people in that community to have a say in how their schools are governed. I don't understand that, especially when you have the ISTA tweeting out today, the House has passed on a hearing HB 1134 on, on a second reading because Representative Cook was absent. The bill will be eligible to be heard again on, on Monday's House calendar. So we have to be vigilant in voting against and standing up against 1134. Well, what is 1134? It mandates that, you know, we teach the history in a way that is palatable for, for certain members of our community to not feel bad about the historical context of our nation. Sorry, what I meant to say was there are some white folks that are upset that, you know, history was, you know, was not kind to people of color and they were, you know, perpetrators uh, of those injustices. They don't want to, they don't want their kids to know about it. But here you have two bills basically contradicting themselves. You have one bill that says the state is going to take over everything and you cannot govern and can't take care of your local school system because we want teachers to have no say. I and mean, we want no parents to have no say in what's happening in Gary. But 1134 says we want more parents to have more say in the curriculum. I'm going to need them to make up my mind. What do we want? Either we want parents to have a say or we don't. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that because we know for sure that Gary is a majority minority city. So we want some parents to have a say. And then we don't want other parents to have a say. We want to strip them all. So these are the things that are happening in our state house, y'all. And we have to be vigilant on watching these bills. Now, we did get kind of lucky because Senator Baldwin put his foot in his mouth last week and Senate Bill 167 died last Friday, mostly because Senator Baldwin intimated that, you know, we should be neutral on Nazism. Huh? 
You can tell the truth and yes, let people make up their own decision, but I'm pretty sure Nazism was pretty jacked up. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was. I, I don't know how much debate there is on that one. You know, the killing of hundreds of thousands of Jews for no reason at all, it's probably pretty bad. I'm just saying, but it died because he put his foot in his mouth. So there are a lot of education bills out there. There are a lot of education bills that are contradictory to who we are as Americans and as who we are as Hoosiers. We wanna make sure that we are preparing our young people to be competitive in the world. That means we have to arm them with all the information, not just some of the information because y'all don't like the history. Sorry, I don't like it either. I don't like knowing that, you know, I had ancestors that had to toil in the hot sun picking cotton and tobacco and sugar cane. I don't like that and not getting paid for it. And we didn't get any reparations. I hate that. But it's a part of who we are and we got to talk about it so that we don't do dumb stuff again, right? All right, let's, let's switch over to COVID bills. There's a few of those out there. Uh, the Indianapolis Star reports, an Indiana lawmaker has proposed a bill that would open the door for the use of controversial medicine to prevent and treat cases of COVID-19. Under House Bill 1372, a doctor or advanced practice registered nurse could write a standing order for ivermectin, an antiparasitic drug that would allow pharmacists to dispense the drug. The legislation also stipulates that the pharmacist must not I repeat, must not provide information that discourages using ivermectin to treat COVID-19. The bill also protects any healthcare provider who provides ivermectin from disciplinary action for doing so. While the bill has been assigned to the House Committee and on Public Health, at this point, it looks unlikely to advance. Again, ladies, how many times have we had multiple conversations about our reproductive rights? And every time there's a, a bill that comes down from Republicans, they want to limit a, a woman's ability to have access to reproductive health. And if they do go seek reproductive health, the person that's providing that health has to give them all the details of the good and the bad. And in some cases, they got to do ultrasounds and they got to do invasive uh, procedures to discourage a woman from doing what she feels like she needs to do for her body. But this bill says, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Now, I know we're going to have some discussions on that because Mayor Styron brought up a good point and I want her to bring that up later. But y'all, these are the things that are happening in our state house. We've got to kind of rein some of this nonsense in, but let's, we're not done with COVID stuff. No, 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 no. WNDU reports, Indiana House Republicans have pushed through a proposal that would severely limit workplace COVID-19 vaccination requirements, even as the move faces re uh, resistance from Republican Governor Eric Holcomb and GOP state Senate leaders. The Republican-dominated Indiana House voted 57 to 35, largely along party lines Tuesday, in favor of the bill, sending it to the Senate for consideration. Supporters maintain the bill will protect individual rights by forcing employers to grant exemptions, forcing employers to grant exemptions. I, I want to make sure I say that again. Forcing employers to grant exemptions to workers who claim medical or religious objections and limit them to requiring COVID tests no more than once a week. Holcomb and top Senate leaders have opposed this bill as wrongly interfering in the decisions of the of private businesses. Now, this is, I thought, an, an, an at-will state and an employer can do what they want at will. You know I've talked about this before, but it just seems they want to cherry pick how they, the philosophy they want to have. They want to go back and forth. Which one is it? See, that's why we got to elect, you know, thinking people to the, to our state house. We're in, I don't know what's happening in some of these communities. I, I don't get a chance to hang out, but I've seen amazing candidates that are running for office as Democrats and they're sound people and they're reasoned people. These folks flip flop more than pancakes. What kind of individuals are we working with here? And these are the individuals who are writing policies that impact your life. And that is why I tell you all the time, you must get involved. They will have you believe in left is right and right is left. 
Oh yeah, they do do that because you know they don't want to protect voting rights either, do they? Anyway, that's another story for another th another day. All right, those are the bills that I wanted to run down because I want to make sure that I get to my amazing guest tonight. But one last thing, and I'm going to make sure I put this in the chat as we are talking tonight. You know, Senator Todd Young, he's another one of those um, flip-flopping fools. Uh, he actually introduced some infrastructure legislation and then voted against it. He was a part of the, 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 the bipartisan team that came up with the infrastructure bill and then voted against it and then came back to Indiana talking about, look what I did. I got some money for infrastructure. Ain't I amazing? No, he's not. No, he is not. He's a hypocrite. He's been silent on the insurrection. He's been down with your boy, uh, the orange menace. We need to replace him. And the only way that we're going to replace him is if one of those three candidates who are running for state Senate can get themselves on the ballot. So here is my call to action to everyone who is listening to the sound of my voice tonight. I am not advocating one candidate over another candidate, but in order for our state Senate candidates to get on the ballot, they must have 500 signatures in each district. If you have not taken the time, to sign a petition to get these three individuals, Hanifa Khalik, Dr. Valerie McRae, or Mayor Thomas McDermott, get with your county party, get with your, your district chairs, and I'm gonna include links to each of their campaigns. Find out what you can do to help get them the signatures they need. I know that they're all pushing up against the wire, February 4th is the deadline that they have to get those into the county party chairs. So I need everyone to get involved. I don't care who you want. I don't care. I have no preference. They are all would be better than what we got. So I'm going to need all of y'all to get serious, get on the horn and help these people get on the ballot because they got to have signatures. Doesn't matter how much money they have right now. Money's not going to do them any good if they can't get on the ballot. So that's my call to action tonight. And there's gonna be a lot of call to actions in this 2022 year because there's so much happening that if we don't stay vigilant, policies will happen to us versus us having an opportunity to shape policy. All right, all right, that's my rant. Man, okay, look, I talked about getting on the ballot. I talked about running for office. And I know that there is somebody, especially a woman who is contemplating, should I? Should I not? She's had four or five people reach out to her, run for school board, run for council, run for commissioner, run for our state house. And she's thinking about it and she ain't sure. I need you to run. February 4th is the deadline and I've got just the motivators here to help you tonight, get you going in the right direction. All right, first up, <laughs> she's a return guest and I'm crazy about her. I was excited when she came. She's been here before. She actually, we did her interview in person and she was running in Zionsville and she was so laid back and cool. And, you know, I loved her, how she talked about my son comes first. That's it. That's all. And I said, take them with you. Kids get extra votes. <laughs> Next thing you know, she is the mayor of Zionsville. Y'all welcome to the show. The mayor of Zionsville, Indiana, Emily Styron. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am so grateful to be here with both of you tonight. Excellent. Excellent. Now, I didn't get a chance to meet this firebrand uh, and incredibly intelligent, but also all the way down the earth that, yo, fell in love with her the first time I actually had a conversation with her. She's, man, she's dope. I'm telling you, you're not going to meet more real, more intelligent and more just special, right? Y'all give it up. The mayor of Charlestown, Indiana, Mayor Treva, Treva Hodges. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Such a, such a great opportunity to get to see both of you, even though virtually, because I adore you both. So thank you for having me on. Excellent. Now, Treva, Mayor Treva, this is your first visit to Turn Left, and maybe some of my listeners aren't familiar with who you are. So tell the people who you are and where you come from. <laughs> Oh, you, you picked up on one of those uh, phrases that have been particularly difficult to navigate, that idea of where are you from, right? Um, so I am mayor in Charlestown, which we're way down south, almost to Louisville. 
and uh, I came here by complete accident, <clears throat> actually. So I grew up a little bit all over the place in the United States, thanks to my dad's job, but mostly from Alabama, and came to Charlestown with my husband, and then never had any intention ever of running for office, not even remotely on the radar. <clears throat> and after spending some time here and seeing some things, eventually I threw my name in the hat and squeaked out a win with 24 votes. And uh, so now I think I'm officially allowed to say that I'm from Charlestown. You are, and you're a Hoosier. So take it, take it. I'm the best kind of Hoosier. You know why? Because I didn't stumble here. I wasn't just born here. I choose to be a Hoosier. I'm a Hoosier by choice. Hey, well, I don't know. I, I'm a Hoosier by choice because that state house gives me reasons to leave, but I ain't going. <laughs> I, I, and plus, Indiana's own doesn't travel very well. So, I, I, <laughs> Emily, just give us a, a, a Mayor Emily, give us a, a, a brief reminder of your greatness. Well, I am. Um, I am not great, but I am smart enough to surround myself with really great people. Um, I am gonna. I'm gonna say that you not only have two female Democrat mayors um, on the program tonight, but we are all, we are both Southerners as well. I, um, I am, I, this is not the right season for me to say this is my home by choice <laughs> because I would much rather be enjoying Can winters in North Carolina instead of winters in the Midwest. But um, I finally have the right coats to wear that makes it better <laughs> absolutely and i tell you what you got to have the right vehicle too this is not for the right. faint of heart yes my my subaru outback has been my friend <laughs> these last five years um so i have lived in zionsville for 21 years and um have worked in public service most of my career, either in higher ed or um, economic development or municipal government, parks and rec, a lot of different roles in that regard. But, um, you know, as I mentioned the last time I was on your show, the, the last thing in the world I thought I ever would be is a politician, someone who would, um, you know, put their name out there for, uh, for election, just because I, I don't fit the traditional um, politicians kind of mold. I say things just exactly the way I think them. And that is never really a great idea for politicians, I think. I don't know. The orange menace <laughs> seem to be able to get away with it. I, um, yeah, you're, you're right. I'm start, I'm probably thinking more along the decorum of the 80s and the 90s, you know, the 90s so at some point, but. But I, um, I decided that I um, would run for something after the 2016 presidential election. Um, a book entitled that, Run for Something, and identified the fact that um, pol politics is, um, I mean, it's big business in a way. They have, you have small chains that get bigger, and they get into like regional um, brands, uh, and then they might become so big they become national. And that's the same thing with po politicians. Um, the the person that you elect governor, that's probably not the first time that person's ever run for office. They've probably gone through a variety of different stages, and and I I wondered, you know, we we elected someone who had never gone through any of those stages. So we didn't have an experience with actual working in government and understanding what um, that role plays different from the private sector. And, um, and I found that in kind of trying to learn more that 80 something percent of all local elections are uncontested. There's never a choice for the public. So that means they miss out on hearing conversations between two different or maybe more different people to talk about what are the challenges and opportunities facing that community. Mm -hmm. They never really get a chance to meet perhaps and mingle with that person um, in advance of an election because there's just not a lot of reason to do that. And I um, had no intention or thought that I truly could win, but I did really want to have conversations before 
um, someone did win so that the community had a better um, roadmap for what to expect out of um, Zionsville's first elected mayor. I love it. I love it. And Treva, you know, you, you said you, you, you've been around and then you were a transplant. Talk about what it was that motivated you um, to run for mayor. And, uh, you know, how many times did people have to ask you? <laughs> uh, for me, it, it came out of a place of frustration with the way things were being managed. Not necessarily because of any significant disagreement over certain policies or things. I mean, there were a couple of major issues that um, I felt were the crux of the issues, but they were just poorly managed. Um, but a large portion of it dealt with just a complete lack of regard for citizens. And that's not the, the way that government should function. Um, I'm kind of a purist in that. I think that City Hall and, and, and to some degree the office, it doesn't belong to me. Mm -mm. It belongs to the folks out there in Charlestown. Um, it's, their, it's, their, it's their house, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like we weren't welcome in our own house. Mm. And um, so I just started kind of showing up and offering information for folks. So before I came on the scene, the meetings in Charlestown were not live streamed, despite having the capability to do so. You know, minutes would be highly redacted. You know, they just weren't extremely redacted minutes. Well, not redacted. That's a strong word. But okay. I mean, you could really look over time and see that the minutes would be like exceptionally detailed. And mm. then in the in the as years went by, they got less and less and less. Ah. Got the it. necessary components were there, but there were a lot of things that were missing. Because if you went to a meeting in person, you didn't necessarily pick up the tone of that meeting in the minutes. And so I felt like that could have been more accurately reflected. And so I started going to meetings and taking a recorder with me. And when I say meetings, I mean every meeting. Um, council meetings twice a month, redevelopment meetings twice a month, planning and zoning meetings once a month, board of zoning appeals every time they happen, board of public works twice a month. I made it almost a part-time job to show up to these meetings with my recorder in hand. And I started a very badly done blog because I've never blogged before, really. And so I just started uploading the audio of these meetings with the summary that I wrote that was a little more you know, detailed than, than what you might get. And so people latched onto that. It became something that folks actually started looking forward to. And so here's this person, not quote from Charlestown, and I'd only been here I moved here in 2013, August of 2013, and I started attending these meetings around 2017. So I had not been here very long um, when I started doing this. And um, what I found was that people looked for and appreciated those meetings. So if I if something happened on the rare occasions and I couldn't get there, I actually had a proxy go on calls because we all knew I'm like, I need somebody to go with the recorder, just go and record it, right? And I was <laughs> Um, but I worked my teaching schedule and everything around this because I was teaching, I was finishing my, my PhD at the University of Louisville and teaching. Gone, Doc, Dr. Mayor. <laughs> right. And uh, so I was doing all of that. And, and, and um, then people started asking. Right. So naturally, since I was becoming a little bit of a rabble rouser and I was digging into details. And when I say digging into details, I, you know, we would have a board of public works meeting, for instance, where a contract was presented. And you left the meeting not even knowing what that contract was for or how much it was for. Like the contract, it would be like, well, here's this contract with, you know, this company A, I need a motion to approve it. Motion made, seconded, all in favor, approved. It's like, well, what, you literally would walk out knowing less than you did when you walked in. <laughs> and so then I would have to go through the steps of the public records request, which nothing, you know, these things weren't readily available online. I have to call and get, you know, go pick it up and, and then scan it and publish it for everybody so they could see what was in the meeting, you know, and. Uh, so, you know, folks kind of started, we also had some issues with, um, some significant lawsuits going on. So Pleasant Ridge, uh, was the big one. Um, and that was a straight out war against, uh, poor folks. Hmm. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Um, it was a low rent district that had fallen into a state of decline over the years because of a lack of code and consistent code enforcement. Hmm. And, um, suddenly there was this, just this huge sweep to just replace all of the, the lower income people with you know, new houses, just get rid of this historic. Uh, gentrification happens in, in small town, Indiana too, huh? I mean, every, you know, just get rid of this entire World War II era neighborhood where some people have been living in their homes for 50 or 60 years and they don't want to go anywhere else. Let's just eradicate it and build new houses, you know? And there was this shady deal that was going, it felt like it was happening. And so there were some lawsuits filed, federal lawsuits filed with all of this. And then, um, 
it, people were just riled up, right? And I was mad um, about all that on their behalf. I was mad. And so I started going and then, you know, one by one, a couple of folks started saying, well, you know, you should run for mayor. You should run for mayor. I was like, You're crazy because I'm trying to finish my PhD. I'm supposed to go be a professor somewhere. Like that's the goal. I'm not going to run for mayor. You're nuts. Um, and it was several women first who were asking um, women who were, who actually lived in that neighborhood that I was fighting, you know, that I was trying to get some publicity for women who lived in that neighborhood. You should run for mayor. You should run for mayor. Four, five, six, seven, a dozen, you know, people just kind of mentioning it. Um, and I had some allies, you know, some, um, some men in my life who, who want to see women succeed, who recognize that maybe these positions have been held for too long by people like them and they want to see some other different faces mm -hmm. and happen so um one of my dearest and most beloved mentors and friends uh jim james um had been advocating for charlestown for years um and trying to help wherever he could and he just consistent and he was persistent he didn't just ask once i mentioned it and walk away this was like a weekly conversation with him are you going to run yet are you going to run yet are you going to run yet you know um my wonderful partner and husband, you know, Ed Byers was always one of those, you know, you, you know, maybe you should think about it. They're asking you, maybe you should, maybe you should. And so having those male voices in my ear actually um, carried more weight. And I, I hate to be that the way I hate to say that, but well, no, I get it because it's, you know, we, as women, we uplift each other, but we often feel the, uh, the, the distance of our, our male counterparts. They don't want to support us a lot of times, not all of them. Right. Obviously. But I understand what you meant by that, because, you know, sometimes we, as women, we'll prop, I tell the story all the time, Senator Shelley Yoder is so amazing and convincing you. She can convince you that you can walk to the moon. <laughs> That's how good she is, right? She is, <laughs> but, but I understand you want to, oh, am I doing this because women want me to do it? Or am I doing it because the community wants me to do it? And right. I get that. I get it. I know what you're saying. You're not elevating their opinion. You're just, right. it, it just was like a, you know, all right, the whole community wants this. But I think that's the role of an ally, right? right? I mean, those of us with varying levels of privilege, whether it be race or, or wealth or gender or whatever, um, it's it's those of us that we have to recognize where we are, where we do have that level of privilege, and then make sure that we are um, holding folks up and saying, okay, I'm going to step back and create a path here because we need that representation. Something I've been able to do as mayor, and I mean, I'm grateful for the opportunity. But you know, ultimately for me, there was one night that comes to mind, and it was just pure outright anger because I had been to a council meeting where I had spoken on behalf of a, a resident who asked me to speak for him. He was not mm -hmm. feeling well. He had an mm -hmm. issue and he said, Hey, you go to these meetings. This affects your neighborhood too. It's my house and your house. Would you mind also saying this on my behalf? And I said, sure. And so I mentioned, you know, I talked about my issue I was having and then I marred up his and I said, he told me, you know, this, 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 and this. And the mayor at the time actually looked at me when I finished and he said, well, first off, I doubt that Mr. X said that. And hmm. I just, I mean, he essentially called so, me a liar. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah he did. You don't know what you're saying. Public meeting. And I have heard that I had heard him call people stupid. I had heard him, you know, just talk to citizens in a way that was just, and then it was me and I was livid. And so the meeting went on and I actually stood up and later in the meeting and called for a point of personal privilege to try to get him to admit that he, was calling me a liar and apologized and he wouldn't give me the floor. He would not give me the floor back oh, to you. Of course not. So I came home and I was just enraged because that's just not how you treat citizens. I don't care. I, I have, as mayor, sat in that chair and read a letter that a citizen wrote just talking about all of the things that he thought that I was doing wrong when we were, were allowing like virtual, you know, feedback mm -hmm, now. Mm -hmm. I will still sit there and read it. I will still sit there and listen to it. And I will still answer their questions because it's their house, not mine. And I'm there to serve them. This is my job. Yeah. And so I was just so insulted. I came home and it was one of those things where I know you've done this, where you try to go to sleep and whether, you know, whatever you're with someone, you just can't shut up. Right. So we're both laying there trying to go to sleep. And my husband's like, it's two o'clock in the morning. Right. And he's trying to sleep and I keep doing the thing where I'll nod off and then I'll wake up. And, go, and then can you believe that he, <laughs> and what about when he, and finally, Ed, you know, looks at me, he sits up in the bed, he looks over and he goes, oh, for the love of everything, will you please just run for mayor and shut up and let us get some sleep? <laughs> that was the final ask. That is an amazing story because I tell awesome. you, you, for me, it was literally the same thing. I mean, and I know a lot of people have already heard this story, you know, uh, at the time, Representative Speaker Brian Bosma was 
fiddling around with some riffralaws and ticked me off. And it was the final straw was not having somebody to vote against. I'm, there was nobody there for me to vote against him, you know, to vote for against him. And it was like, this ain't democracy if there's nobody running. Emily, speak on it. Speak on it. One hundred percent. Well, okay. Well, there. <laughs> Just, I mean, it's true. I, if you have no choice, then where is the primary tenet of democracy showing up? How is it showing up in that sort of regard? And that's the that is the danger of all of this gerrymandering stuff mm -hmm. that's happening. Is that's also not choice when you carve out, you know, segments of the of the community to be able to vote and and there's not a lot of of um, competition yeah. in that process. I mean, it, we wouldn't I don't think that we try to create our economies in that sort of fashion where there's guaranteed winners. I'm sure that in some ways we do, but not so um, blatant, at least it feels like to me. And so when we, when we think about, you know, we, one of, some of the things that we often hear from, from women who want to run for office or have been asked and they continually turn it down, oh, work obligations, family obligations, things of that nature. And I, Emily, you, yours is a unique family obligation. Talk about, you know, what were you doing before? How, how was home life, you know, without, you know, listen, we ain't, this ain't, you know. Sure, you know, yeah. Red table, this ain't red table talks. This is, you right. know. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have been a single person for, I, gosh, a dozen or more years at this point. So I have three children. Two of them are now in, um, in college and the youngest is in the fourth grade. So I've juggled, I, and I, but I will say, when I say I'm a single mother, I'm also, I also have a very strong co-parenting agreements with, with my kids' dads. So um, I'm not seven days a week a single parent. I um, have days that are much easier for me to work and to be really fully present and all the hours that I need to be at work. And then I have other days that are a little bit shorter. Um, and I've been fortunate enough or maybe just kind of, um, confident enough to ask for what I need. Mm. Um, but I've had employment situations that have let me be the mother I want to be, but also be impactful in organizations that I serve as an employee. So that, um, that was the case with Ivy tech and, and it, I mean, and it helps that I'm the mayor because I sort of can create my own schedule. And I, it's not like I'm asking more of anyone than I'm, you know, doing myself. So I just figure out how to juggle all of that. And sometimes Griffin is in the office um, playing on his iPad. <laughs> so there was a recent um, council meeting that I tend to not go to evening council meetings because those are um, those are nights when I have Griffin and I I hold those nights pretty dear and close to my heart. Mm -hmm. So, um, but this was an important night for me to show up and support an initiative that was on the agenda. So um, I just lock him up in a in a conference room nearby, and he. He entertains himself. Toys. <laughs> I just, I just remember when you were campaigning. You know, you had set strict guidelines um, for yourself. You know, and you were like, you know, I'm, I want to be mayor, but I'm always gonna be a mother. Yeah. And I, and I just, yeah. that was something that re obviously, um, all these years later, resonated with me that night. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about the importance of you know maintaining that balance. I think it's important for all of us to make space for what um, our families need, our own personal well-being needs, our friendships. Um, we can't be fully present for meeting the needs of our community if we're not also putting up guardrails and making commitments to be fully present with our family when we have the opportunity to do that.
Absolutely. I love it. So talk about both of you. Talk about some of the life-changing experiences while you were on the campaign trail, right? There's, there's a, there's, you're still in candidate mode. You're out there. This is pre-COVID. So you were still able to get out. Talk about that moment or some of those, some of those events that happened that let you know that you were doing the right thing and that you were on the right path. Um, I mean, for, for me, for one thing, um, I didn't have as much, I had no name recognition. No one knew who I was. I didn't, you know, Charlestown is a very small community and we have that thing about from Charlestown. Right. And so that was one of the critiques. Well, she's not even from Charlestown. How could she possibly be our mayor? She's not from here. Right. And, um, so I had to kind of build that from the ground up, mm -hmm. you know, who, who I was and who I am. And one, I think one of the things, there were two moments um, on the campaign trail early on, it was a total grassroots effort. Like I didn't, sure. early on the, the first part, I mean, it was just me out, you know, hitting the streets. I had a pretty good team of volunteers with me. Uh, other people who were running on the Democrat, you know, ballot would go out every time with me, you know, Tina Barnes and um, Angela and, and all these folks would go out with me every time and, and do their part too. So it was a really big team effort. But um, I remember two distinct moments and it has to do with campaign donations. And I know that's weird, but there were lots of great moments where I met wonderful people, but one was the first time that someone out of their individual bank account gave me a thousand dollars. And I was sitting, um, on my sofa watching TV with Ed that night and my email notification went off that I had, a, you know, and it was a PayPal you know, donation. And I looked down and up to that point I had gotten, you know, maybe 20 here, 50 here, you know, you know, somebody might give me a hundred bucks, you know, but I had very low in my campaign account, had nothing. And you know how it is. You've got to have funds to, to run a campaign. Right. Right. It's one of the realities. You're asking people to invest in that opportunity to make a change for them. And so you're, you know, and that's the hardest part is asking people to, to do this. Right. So I was really weird about it, but I looked down at the email and I saw the zeros. It was like, I was like, without somebody believes in me enough to give me a thousand dollars. Like, are you serious? And I just started crying. And it's like, what's wrong? I was like, I just got a thousand dollar donation. Like, I, I, I hope I don't mess this up. Like, what if I don't win? Somebody just gave me a thousand dollars. What if I don't win? Right? Like, oh my gosh, the pressure. And I was like, they, they actually believe. They believe in this. They want this change. They want it so badly that they gave me this donation. So that was huge. The other is like the complete opposite side of that. I received a letter in the mail. It was a it was a card in the mail from a person who doesn't even live in Charlestown anymore, and it had a ten dollar bill in it. Mm. And the note was, I, I'm going to tear up just saying this. I don't usually get this. Emotional. That's all right. That's all right. Um, the note was, I don't live there anymore, but my parents are buried there, and I grew up there, and I still love it with every core of my being, and I can't give you much. Mm. I'm on a fixed income in Social Security, but this is what I can. I saved. I made sure that I could give you this this month. Mm. And so you had this flip of somebody believing in me enough. And to me, a thousand dollars was huge, right? Just mind boggling huge. And then you had somebody else who for $10 was a lot. And the fact that they wrote out a note, put it in the mail, put a stamp on it, sent it to me on behalf of their parents, you know, and they're growing up here that they believed also in that change. To me, that $10 was worth as much as that thousand, if not more. Ah. Uh. Man, whoo! I felt all of that. I got the vapors over here. Emily, tell us yours. That's so great. I don't even remember what our the favorite oh. campaign memory or that was such a great story. I know, right? <laughs> Wait a minute, hold on. Let me let me quit playing. All right. All right. Come on, Emily. What were those what was that moment on the trail that that let you know you were doing the right thing? Um I'm not sure if there was a single moment. I feel like one day I realized that we had 15 volunteers out knocking on doors. Um, and it was in the, you know, it was summertime and hot. And I was just amazed by that, that it's a Saturday and there are people that I've just recently met and they um, are wearing a t-shirt with my name on it and knocking on strangers doors. <laughs> and it was amazing. It was phenomenal. Um, I felt, 
I'm so, so grateful and proud of that entire campaign because I believe that all our intent was to meet as many um, constituents where they are, whether it was at events or at their door or, um, you know, any, in a park. We had several events at a, in different parks around a picnic table. And if one person showed up, that was terrific. Uh -huh. If, you know, 15 people showed up, that was terrific. Every one of those experiences was um, really remarkable. And I was, when it's, when we first got started, I was so nervous about that. Mm -hmm. I was so nervous about knocking on doors, um, nervous about what, you know, how folks would react to, um, a Democrat and someone and just anyone knocking on their door and asking for their vote. Yeah. And I, um, you know, I was really lucky in terms of how gracious and interested and um, positive that experience was overall. I love it. Weren't you the one that said that uh, the kids were wearing your t-shirts and your t-shirts became, tell that, tell that story, because that was a good one. So um, I am a very, I am very picky about the things that I wear. Like, and I, it doesn't have to, I don't care about fancy at all, but I hate things that are itchy or feel kind of, mm -hmm. I don't know. You're a um, texture girl. Yeah. And so, and I also wanted everything we were doing to be fresh and different and authentic. And so a really good friend of mine, what served as our designer and did the logo and stuff like that. And she also um, helped kind of source different products. So we found a women owned business that create, that does t-shirts and um, those things are, they are the softest, the best material. They're this great green color and this Emily for Zionsville logo right in the middle. They look great. And so we ended up having um, just folks go, we bought extra and um, just had a lot of folks eager to pick one up for um, a donation. And even to this day, I, um, there's a week doesn't go by that I don't see someone with one of those shirts on. I love it. I love yeah. it. So, so yep. the night you guys win, right? You've, you've, yep. you've toiled. You've knocked on doors. It was hot. It was rainy. You had to feed people. You know, you had to get kids to bed. You had to take care of husband. You had classes and you working the night you win. Explain that feeling. Well, it took me a while. Um, mine was so close. The race was so close. And um, on the ticket, I was the only Democrat who won. And so we were having kind of a collective after party and I had told everyone, <laughs> this is so traumatic. She's going to kill me for kill, telling this story. But <laughs> so I had told it right. I'm the kind of person I don't, I like knowing finalities, right? I don't want to hear numbers as they come through. So I had folks, you know, getting the, the precinct reports and stuff and tallying. And I said, I don't want to know until everything's final. Don't even, don't come tell me because I don't want to hear that, you know, I've won six of the seven precincts and then lose because I lost the seven. Like, I don't want to know. I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want to, you know, just don't tell me till it's over. Cool. My dear friend, Donna Ennis, um, was helping with the tallying. And she also um, had a job that was, they were having like this emergency repair that she had to go to that night. And so she had to leave and she was, she came to me and she was hysterical. She's like, I need to see you outside right now. And I was like, okay. So I go outside and she's like, you're going to win. And I was like, what? No, la, 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 la. I can't hear you. No, what? what are you doing? And she's like, I have to go. She's like, I want to be here when you win and you're going to win. And I'm not going to be here. And like, I, I, you've won this many precincts. And I was like, no, I don't want to hear this. So we're like outside of the American Legion, like screaming at each other. Cause she's like, you're going to win. And I'm like, I told you not to tell me this, like be quiet. And so I was just, and so finally they, they get the last number in and they're like, you won. And I said, she's like the next mayor. There's like, I got a little video of it on my TikTok, which is a whole separate thing. Right. The next mayor of, of Charlestown is Treva Hodges. And everybody's like, Oh, 
and they're all screaming and I'm just like, oh, and I've had this pure like beauty pageant moment where I'm like, oh, the ugly face and I'm <laughs> crying and everybody's excited and I'm overwhelmed and I'm in, in this middle of this like huge mosh pit with everybody wanting to hug me. And I, I kid you not, I sit back and I'm like, by how much? And they're like, 20 votes. And I'm like, oh, hold up. No, we ain't doing, no, we ain't won yet. What are you doing? And they're like, no, you won. And I'm like, no, uh, uh-uh, no, everybody stop. We're going to wait for official word from the clerk's office on this. We're not going to do it. And so they're like, speech. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no speeches. So then the News and Tribune shows up, right? The reporter's like, oh, you've won. And I'm like, mm, I don't know about that, right? So it took me an hour after they announced. <laughs> you were in denial. <laughs> I was in denial. It took me an hour before I was finally willing to stand up and do, like, a speech for everybody. And they're all, like, milling around, like, is she ever, like, what is going on? And so I killed the whole vibe because I was like, I'm not sure. Of course, then I had to go through a recount and a contested race. And so there was just this period of limbo falling. So where we should have been able to just hit the ground running with transition and start to work on that, that got drug out because the new judge had to be assigned and then another new judge. And it just kind of kept dragging. And so we really didn't finally get like actual concession from my opponent until um, like late, like beginning of December, like Mm -hmm. late, late, late. And so um, people were kind of like, what do we do with this? Like, is, has she won? Has she not? Um, so it was just a really strange time after that. Um, but I felt like the swearing in then was an opportunity to kind of finally, oh, you know, take that breath. You, and, you didn't even yeah. relax until you were sworn in. Yeah. So but get this, I swore. So the weekend that I got sworn in, the I, I graduated with my PhD and got sworn in like two days, like one day and then one after the next day. So yeah, that's I, awesome. You really uh, were Dr. Mayor. <laughs> The same weekend. So it was like, okay, this is, this is, I don't know if it gets any, I don't know how you, like, I'm done. <laughs> that is awesome. That's so that awesome. is fantastic. That is a great story. It <laughs> is fantastic. Wow. Love it. And well, you got to follow that up. <laughs> I know. I, there's just no way. I, I thought my, my race was close with 88 votes, but 20, that's, that's, that's incredible. And, and I would say I had, I, the, um, former mayor was so gracious and, and terrific, um, called and congratulated me. And, um, we had a, a very good transition into the office and it was, it was, it was super. I, I too had no expectation of winning, as I've said many, many times. And, but so we, you know, friends and, um, and supporters all gathered at Greek's Pizza, and we just decided, well, we're just going to have a party. <laughs> like, regardless of the outcome, we're going to have fun tonight. Hey! And, um, yeah, and we did. And I, I think the thing that was in, and I had friends from, you know, Indianapolis all over here. It was really lovely. But what was great was calling my, um, my daughter who was in Bloomington at the time and letting her know the outcome. That was fun. It was really fun. And see, you guys are winners. Um, I lost my race. And so this, this whole show was about, you know, women running for office. I lost my race. And I know a lot of people feel like losing a race is rejection, right? Well, first of all, let's be clear. I'm a black lesbian that lives in Indiana. I'm, I'm okay with rejection. Cause you know, it's kind of, we look, it just started being cool <laughs> to be either one of those in the last 10 years and I'm five decades in. So, um, you know what I'm saying? And even though I lost my race and, and, and the, the, the impact that a, a candidate can have on an entire community. And in my case, I had an impact on the entire state. I didn't know. I was, I was mad at stupid Brian Bosma and the stupid legislature for trying to tell me as a gay person, as, as a member of the LGBTQ plus community that we were, could be treated like second class citizens. That's the only thing I was focused on. I was a political junkie. So I was quite aware that I probably wouldn't win it. But I, I, now my, my, my wife, my wife at the time, my ex-wife now was worried that I would go into a deep depression because of how much effort I had put into my race. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm fully aware. I didn't expect to win. It would have been the shock of the world had I won, right? Let's be clear. 
But the impact of walking up and down the, the voting line at six o'clock in the morning and meeting people and greeting people as they were going in and saying, I got a Democrat to vote for, that was the that was what was okay. And then even election night, knowing that I lost, there was a moment where they called it for Bosma and then they pulled it back. <laughs> and everybody was like, wait, what? <laughs> What's happening here? Of course he won. Like I only got like 34% of the vote, but it, it, it's the impact that you can have by just showing up. And, and that's what we're talking about. So we got two winners and someone who lost, but I even say my loss was a win. Because we were able, you know, I'm able to like elevate other people's voices. I know what it takes to be a candidate. So I know how to best help candidates, right? I know what they need. I know how to help them and, and know people you're, you're not, everybody's not going to be like mayor, mayor Treva and mayor Emily. You're not, you may not win your race. I didn't Indiana's own did not, but you gotta, you, you can never win a race. You can never win an election when your name ain't on the ballot. That's what Dad gonna show her. Yeah, and you know, every county in this state has at least one Democrat living there. Mm -hmm. And all of us deserve to have someone that we want to put a, a check mark by their name when it's time to vote. We want a reason to go into that ballot box. So, you know, that's, I think that's as much a, the you know the call to action is anything is give us choice mm -hmm. let's have dialogue and raise the bar in terms of expectations of whoever runs they're going to have heard a lot of different things discussed and they're going to hold that that winner um accountable to do the things that they heard that they liked the most yeah yeah i i just want to you know i want to i want to reiterate you know when you throw yourself out in a campaign, let's say you've never done it, you've never gone to a, a Democrat party meeting, you've never, you know, you, you don't join your county party or whatever, you're just living your life, right? But you're, you see things happening and you want to have a, you know, a more direct role in that. Throwing yourself and your name on that ballot um, on any position, let's not kid ourselves. We, there are positions up and down that ballot yes. that have different levels of commitment, different levels of experience, whether you're running for trustee board um, or you're running, you know, township or whatever you're doing, you know, um, it doesn't all have to be something as, as full-time or high profile as a mayor, um, or council member. There are plenty of, of, mm -hmm. they are just as important because I mean, those are the levels that are really doing the work for, for your everyday decisions, you know, that you're facing every, day. every single day. So there's a position on that ballot somewhere that you can run for, whether that's precinct, committee person or delegate um there i mean some of these require very little of your of your time outside mm -hmm. you can have your job or whatever right so we need those options because here's the deal if you live in the municipal limits of charlestown after the last election after last year's election the municipal limits of charlestown from from the federal government you have democrat leadership you've got president biden and vice president harris mm -hmm. But from there on down, from the state, county, all the way down to the municipal level, you only have four Democrats. So your county council, representative for Charlestown, your county commissioners, your county, your town, your city council, all of the other positions. You have a mayor, you have a county clerk, you have one judge, and you have a surveyor. And that's it outside of the president. And that's, vice president. That's and see that's not balance. Right? Mm -mm, that's a whole lot of of one party leading a whole lot of positions. Yeah, okay. I mean, especially and, at the at the local level, I don't think people realize like the the it's the federal level that gets all the noise. And I, I know I say it all the time. I am you know from from lake to river, border to border, because there's so much that's happening in these 92 counties that if we just we ain't, you really don't have time. If you really focus in on what's happening, and honestly, that's where the power is. You, you're not going to get, you know, uh, your roads and fixed if, if potholes filled, and we know how Indiana potholes are. You're not going <laughs> to get those filled. You know, zoning issues. They had a, a zoning argument today at the state house. They are, you know, wanting to put a big old bright light, sunshiny sign in, in, a, in a neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? And they want to bypass zoning to put this sign up without public input. 
No, we're not, we're not, done. we're not doing that. And, and that's why it's so important for us to get involved. And uh, on the subject of winning. So this came up. So, um, I, I met, like em- I, I met Emily, um, at a panel that we did for yes. her on, uh, and I think you, yeah, you were there. And that's I was there met. all giddy and, you know, fangirling all the way out. <laughs> and it, you know, one of the questions that was asked after our panel was, you know, how did you, how do you win? How did you win? Right. I've run for all these different things. The, the questioner said, yeah. I've run for all, lost all my races. How do you win? Um, and I think that losing a race should not be, shouldn't be viewed as a, as an overall loss. Okay. Elections are fickle things. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've been one term and I feel like I'm checking off the list checklist of things that I promised people that I would do. And and all of that, but elections are weird things. I can't guarantee I'm going to get a second term. I'm going to try. Yeah, I can't I will. Um, and that might, you know, it might end up being a loss, but it won't be a loss for me overall because I'm plugged in now. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm plugged in at my county party level. I'm plugged in at my at my district party level. I've met some phenomenal people along the way that are in my corner cheering, cheering me on in life. And I get to simultaneously cheer them on. I mean, look, I get to be on your show. I get to, I get, I, got I to get to you. have you on my show. Come on. Let's, let's put it. Let's put the, put the emphasis where it belongs now. But like, I mean, I've got a great district chair, you know, Adam Dickey rocks it out down here and just does a phenomenal job encouraging candidates to run, finding candidates to run and not, and then you're not left alone either. Like no. you get in there and they're there, they're, he's there to support. I can call him up anytime and I can be like, Hey, you know, and he calls me up. He's like, okay, we're going to this County. Cause you're going to go speak. And I'm like, okay, I'm on, I'm with you. Right. Well, Adam, like, but I'm going to be, but I'm going to be real. Adam Dickey is kind of special. So yeah. you're, you're kind of lucky. I mean, he's, I, I mean, we've got some great district chairs, but, 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 you know, Chris, cause Christine Bohm and Cynthia Johnson, they come to mind and Thomasina Marcella. Yeah. Come on yes. now. We got some, yeah, man, to Thomasina, come on, golly. But, but, but Adam is, I mean, he's a real star. I mean, I, I can't, I'm very fortunate to have him as a district chair and, um, and all the support, um, that he, that he yeah. gives here. Yeah. But here's the thing we, people, out there that are opposed to Democrats. They think they know Democrats, right? Republicans are controlling the narrative about who we are. And we, the only way to set that straight, the only way to show them that Democrats are just like an everyday average person, right? Is to be out there with them and and say proudly, I am a Democrat. I'm a Democrat and here are the things that I like to do. You know, here, I'm a Democrat, here are the things I believe. And here's the absolute for me beauty of our party. That Republican Party is all about checking a box. Mm-hmm. And if you don't agree and check every single box of the party line that they have, then you're not one of them. Yeah. yeah. The beauty of the Democrat Party is that we embrace diversity. We have a whole spectrum of people who consider themselves to be Democrats and fight for Democrat values. And this is a welcoming party. And we are here to talk to and lift each other up. And you just won't find that kind of true support and and a party that truly is of the people and with the people's interests at heart for the everyday, everyday average person. And that's what we should be talking about at our dinner tables with our extended family and friends. It's who who we are. Talk talk about it, Emily. She set set you up to go ahead and knock it out the box. Oh, 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 you're on mute. You're on mute. You're on mute. <laughs> well, I should stay on mute because there's no way that I can top that. I, I, I agree. It's just a thousand percent. Um, I am clearly struggling in Zionsville to have really good um, ongoing organizationally working relationships with mm. our um our town council and um that was very I, that was I, very nice i i am going to continue to um work towards making what i can do to make things um improve mm-hmm. but i feel like our just larger governmental, political context in, 
infiltrates in you know down to the local level and is doing that more so now school board meetings mm -hmm. you know these things are troubling and i feel um i really like the work that i get to do mm -hmm. every day mm -hmm. but i'm not a big fan of the um the politics the of politics ugliness. yeah like the ugliness that can yeah. come out of disagreements yeah yeah they, there's yeah, I've really tried to um, talk to my kids about, you know, when you feel like you are at an impasse with folks, with someone, um, ask them questions and mm -hmm. try to figure out if there is a way for some common ground. But don't continue to be associated with someone if you can't ever find that that trust and that um, just mm -hmm. general mm -hmm. respect, mutual respect. And, um, and gosh, I've had, I've needed them to remind me of that myself mm. in this particular up. situation that they're, and I do, I do think emotions can catch, can catch fire. Like I think that they are infectious and this overall distrust of government and a desire to try to characterize it as something we need to cure. Mm. Government is just a group of people agreeing to a set of norms that lifts the majority of folks up and keeps us safe and looks out for one another and tries to move an entire community, you know, upward and, and, um, towards the greater good. It's not a boogeyman. It's not some kind of socialist agenda to um, put solar panels on your roof or something. I mean, it, it is, it, we, there's, there's got, there, at some point, um, we need to get over the R and D thing and just start really talking about this invention that we have mm -hmm. and this, our, the thing that we now have to care for and, um, and to help it thrive and grow to the best of our ability. I love it. I love it. And to, to piggyback off of that, um, you know, uh, when you say people need to stop thinking that government is this horrible thing, I, I, it was poignant to me in the governor's state of the state address. He highlighted uh, a business owner who took advantage of government programs to get his business off the ground. Literally, the Republican governor was saying, see, government helps businesses, too. Uh, it, it does. It, you know, it's, it's a whole thing. And, and what they do, what that is, is a, a fear tactic to keep you out of it. Right. They, if, if I only had only a few people are involved in the political making political and policy making process, then I can dictate what happens to you instead of you getting to dictate how, what happens to yourself and your community. And that's and that's why we're, that's why this, this show was tonight. I had a chance to listen to these amazing mayors uh, and Mayor Hawkset was there. So, he, you know, he's big time. No, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm ever get the mayor on my show, but I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Hi, Stephanie. I'm teasing. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> hey, <laughs> uh, but, but the whole purpose of this show was, you know, we're close to the deadline. We're bumping up against it. And here you have three women who ran for office and the women still only make up 29% of our electorate in our entire state. That means we're behind the eight ball. We need to catch up. And we are over 51% of our population in our state. That means there's greater opportunity for us to, to be leaders in our community because there are slots just waiting for us to fill them. You hear you have two winners and someone who you know, kind of lost the race, but won in the end, right? I still mm -hmm. won. And, and, and losing is not so bad because guess what? You pick yourself up, you shake yourself up and go, okay, what am I going to do next? Because if you run in to, to serve your community, even if you're not an elected official, you're going to find another way to serve your community. Mm -hmm. Y'all, I, I, we overtime. I knew this conversation was going to be fantastic. <laughs> um, I knew the time was going to fly. You guys are two of the strongest, most most inspiring um, elected officials in our state. You guys represent your Democrats in small towns. Your your women Democrats in small towns do not in Indiana. Do not take that lightly. Y'all need to listen to these ladies. Reach out to them. I know that they they're easy to find and they're, they they don't mind communicating. You can keep your hate to yourself though. Do that. Do keep <laughs> your hate to yourself. They get enough of that. But but there's an opportunity if you believe in writing policies and improving the lives of the people in your community get involved february 4th 
is the deadline, including precinct committee people. And also one last thing again, please, 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 please. I put the links to all three Senate candidates who are running for U.S. Senate, uh, uh, trying to buy uh, in the primary to run against Todd Young in the fall. They need signatures. If you have not signed these petitions, make sure you reach out to these campaigns, make sure you reach out to your county party so you can find out how you can make sure your signature is on all three. I don't care who you support. We just need to make sure that we have a Democrat on the ballot. We can we gonna raise money, we gonna do all of that, but we gotta get those signatures and that is law. That's a part of the process, y'all. Thank you, mayors, madam mayors. Y'all are so dope. I can't wait to see y'all again. I am so crazy about y'all. Indiana's on Dana Black, turn left. This is what we do. Now, I'm going to start booking all these candidates that are filing. I see them coming through, and I'm excited, and we're going we're gonna to double them up so I can get them all on there. We're going to have two at a time. I want to make sure everybody who wants to come on the show can tell their story. So look for an invitation in either your Facebook Messenger or email or something from Indiana Zone. I promise you, I'll give, I'm going to give everybody who wants to come on this show opportunity to tell their story, and we're going to do it with love. All right, y'all. I'll holler at y'all next week. Peace. Turn Left is the property of Black Pearl IT Solutions, executive producer, Indiana's own Dana Black. Music by www.bensound.com. <laughs>